Chapter 17 of Bunyan's Characters, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Glenn Coster, Jr. Bunyan's Characters, Volume 2 by Alexander White. Chapter 17 Mr. Ready to Halt. For I am ready to halt. David. Mr. Ready to Halt is the Mephibosheth of the pilgrimage. While Mephibosheth was still a child in arms, his nurse let the young prince fall, and from that day to the day of his death he was lame in both his feet. Mephibosheth's lifelong lameness, and then David's extraordinary grace to the disheartened cripple in commanding him to eat continually at the king's table. In those two points, we have all that we know about Mr. Ready to Halt also. We have no proper portrait, as we say, of Mr. Ready to Halt. Mr. Ready to Halt is but a name on John Bunyan's pages, a name set upon two crutches. But then, his simple name is so suggestive, and his two crutches are so eloquent, that I feel as if we might venture to take this lifelong lamenter and his so serviceable crutches for our character lecture tonight. John Bunyan, who could so easily and so delightfully have done it, has given us no information at all about Mr. Ready to Halt's early days. For once, his English passion for a pedigree has not compelled our author's pen. We would have liked immensely to have been told the name and to have seen displayed the whole family tree of young Ready to Halt's father, and especially of his mother, who was his nurse also. And did she ever forgive herself for the terrible injury she had done her young master? What were his occupations and amusements as a little cripple boy? Who made him his first crutch? Of what wood was it made? And at what age? and under whose kind and tender directions did he begin to use it? And then, with such an infirmity, whatever put it into Mr. Ready to Halt's head to attempt the pilgrimage? For the pilgrimage was a task and a toil that took all the limbs and all the lungs and all the labors and all the endurances that the strongest and the bravest of men could bring to bear upon it. How did this complete cripple ever get through the slaw and first up and then down the hill difficulty, past all the lions, and over a thousand other obstacles and stumbling blocks, till he arrived at mine host's so hospitable door? The first surprised sight we get of this so handicapped pilgrim is when great heart and feeble mind are in the heat of their discourse at the hostelry door. At that moment, Mr. Ready to Halt came by with his crutches in his hand, and he was also going on pilgrimage. Thus, therefore, they went on. Mr. Greatheart and Mr. Honest went on before. Christiana and her children went next, and Mr. Feeblemind and Mr. Ready to Halt came behind with his crutches. Put by the curtains, look within my veil. Turn up my metaphors, and do not fail. There, if thou seekest them such things to find, as will be helpful to an honest mind. 
1. Well then, when we put by the curtains and turn up the metaphors, what do we find? What but just this, that poor Mr. Ready to Halt was, after all, the greatest and the best believer, as the New Testament would have called him, in all the pilgrimage. We have not found so great faith as that of Mr. Ready to Halt. No, not in the very best of the pilgrim bands. Each several pilgrim had, no doubt, his own good qualities, but at pure and downright believing, at taking God at his bare and simple word, Mr. Ready to Halt beat them all. All that flashes in upon us from one shining word that stands on the margin of our so metaphorical author. This single word, the promises, hangs like a key of gold beside the first mention of Mr. Ready to Halt's crutches, a key such that in a moment it throws open the whole of Mr. Ready to Halt's otherwise lockfast and secret and inexplicable life. There it all is, as plain as a pike staff now. Yes, Mr. Ready to Halt's crutches are just the divine promises. I wonder I did not see that all the time. Why, I could compose all his past life myself now. I have his father and his mother and his nurse at my finger ends now. This poor pilgrim, unless it would be impertinence to call him poor any more, had no limbs to be called limbs. Such limbs as he had were only an encumbrance to this unique pedestrian. All the limbs he had were in his crutches. He had not one atom of strength to lean upon apart from his crutches. A bone, a muscle, a tendon, a sinew may be ill-nourished, undeveloped, green and unknit, but at the worst they are inside of a man and they are his own. But a crutch, of however good wood it may be and however good a lame man may be at using it, Still, a crutch at its best is but an outside adamant. It is not really and originally a part of a man's very self at all. And yet, a lame man is not himself without his crutch. Other men do not need to give a moment's forethought when they wish to rise up to walk or to run or to leap or to dance. But the lame man has to wait till his crutches are brought to him and then, after slowly and painfully hoisting himself up upon his crutches with great labor, he at last takes the road. Mr. Ready to Halt, then, is a man of God, but he is one of those men of God who have no godliness within themselves. He has no inward graces. He has no past experiences. He has no attainments that he can for one safe moment take his stand upon, or even partly lean upon. Mr. Ready to Halt is absolutely and always dependent upon the promises. The promises of God and Holy Scripture are this man's very life. All his religion stands in the promises. Take away the promises, and Mr. Ready to Halt is a heap of heaving rags on the roadside. He cannot take a single step unless upon a promise. But, at the same time, give Mr. Ready to Halt a promise in his hand, and he will wade the slow upon it, 
and scale up and slide down the hill difficulty upon it, and fight a lion, and even brain Beelzebub with it, till he will with a grudge and a doubt exchange it even for the chariots and the horses that wait him at the river. What a delight our Lord would have taken in Mr. Ready to Halt, had he come across him on his way to the Passover. How he would have given Mr. Ready to Halt his arm, how he would have made himself late by walking with him, and would still have waited for him. Nay, had that been a day of chapbooks in carpenter shops and on the village stalls, how he would have had Mr. Ready to Halt's story by heart had any brass worker in Galilee told the story. Our Lord was within an inch of telling that story himself when he showed Thomas his hands and his side. And at another time, and in another place, he might well have had Mr. Ready to Halt as one more of our Lord's parables for the common people. Only, he left the delight and the reward of drawing out this parable to one he already saw and clearly loved in a far-off island of the sea, the Puritan tinker of evangelical England. 2. And now, after all that, would you think it going too far if I were to say that in making himself like unto all his brethren, our Lord made himself like Mr. Ready to halt too? Indeed he did. And it was because his Lord did this that Mr. Ready to halt so loved his Lord as to follow him upon crutches. It would not be thought seemly, perhaps, to carry the figure too close to our Lord, but figure apart it is only orthodox and scriptural to say that our lord accomplished his pilgrimage and finished his work leaning all along upon his father's promises esaias is very bold about this also for he tells his readers again and again that their messiah when he comes will have to be held up he will have to be encouraged comforted and carried through by jehovah and in one remarkable passage he lets us see Jehovah hooping Messiah's staff first with brass, and then with silver, and then with gold. Let Thomas Goodwin's genius set the heavenly scene full before us. You have it dialogue-wise set forth, says that great preacher. First Christ shows his commission, telling God how he had called him and fitted him for the work of redemption, and he would know what reward he should receive of him for so great an undertaking. God at first offers low only the elect of Israel. Christ thanks these too few, and not worth so great a labor and work, because few of the Jews would come in, and therefore he says that he would labor in vain if this were all his recompense. And yet withal he tells God that seeing his heart is so much set on saving sinners to satisfy him he will do it even for those few upon this god comes off more freely and openeth his heart more largely to him as meaning more amply to content him for his pains in dying it is a light thing says god to him that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of jacob that is not worth thy dying for. I value thy sufferings more than so. I will give thee for a salvation to the ends of the earth. 
Upon this he made a promise to Christ, a promise which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. God cannot lie, and most of all, not to his Son. And then, more even than that, this same deep divine tells us that it is a certain rule in divinity that whosoever we receive from Christ, that he himself first receives in himself for us. All the promises of God's word are made and fulfilled to Christ first, and so to us in and after him. In other words, our Lord's life was so planned for him in heaven and was so followed out and fulfilled by him on earth that to take up the metaphor again, he actually tried every crutch and every staff with his own hands and with his own armpits. He actually leaned again and again, his whole weight upon every several one of them. Every single promise, the most unlikely for him to lean upon and to plead, yet be sure of it, he somehow made experiment upon them all, and made sure that there was sufficient and serviceable grace within and under every one of them. So that, Mr. Ready to Halt, there is no possible staff you can take into your hand that has not already been in the hand of your Lord. Think of that, O Mr. Ready to Halt. Reverence, then, and almost worship thy staff. Throw all thy weight upon thy staff. Confide all thy weakness to it. Talk to it as thou walkest with it. Make it talk to thee. Worm out of it all its secrets about its first owner, and let it instruct thee about how he walked with it and how he handled it. The Bible is so very bold with its master. It calls him by the most startling names sometimes. There is no name that a penitent and a returning sinner goes by that the Bible does not put somewhere upon the sinner's Savior. And in one place it as good as calls him ready to halt in as many words. Nay, it lets us see him halting altogether for a time, I, oftener than once, and only taking the road again when a still stronger staff was put into his trembling hand. And if John had but had room in his crowded gospel, he would have given us the very identical psalm with which our Lord took to the upward way again, strong in his new staff. For I am ready to halt, was his psalm in the house of his pilgrimage. And my sorrow is continually before me, Mine enemies are lively, and they are strong, and they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. 3. Among all the devout and beautiful fables of the dispensation of paganism, there is nothing finer than the fable of blind Tiberius and his staff. By some sad calamity, this old prophet had lost the sight of his eyes, and to compensate their servant for that great loss, the gods endowed him with a staff with eyes. As Aaron's rod budded before the testimony and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds, so Tiberius' staff budded eyes, and divine eyes too, for the blind prophet's guidance and direction. 
Tiberius had but to take his heaven-given staff in his hand, when straightway such a divinity entered into the staff that it both saw for him with divine eyes, and heard for him with divine ears, and then led him and directed him, and never once in all his after journeys let him go off the right way. All other men about him, prophets and priests both, often lost their way, but Tiberius after his blindness never, till Tiberius and his staff became a proverb and a parable in the land. And just such a staff, just such a crutch, just such a pair of crutches, were the crutches of our own so homely Mr. Ready to halt. With all their lusty limbs, all the other pilgrims often stumbled and went out of their way till they had to be helped up, led back, and their faces set right again. But last, as Mr. Ready to halt always came in the procession, behind even the women and the children as his crutches always kept him, you will seek in vain for the dot of those crutches on any bypath or on any wrong road. No, the fact is, if you wish to go to the same city and are afraid you lose the way, as Evangelist said, do you see yon shining light? So I would say to you tonight, do you see these crutch marks on the road? Well, keep your feet in the prints of these crutches, and as sure as you do that they will lead you straight to a chariot and horses, which again will carry you inside the city gates. For Mr. Ready to Halt's crutches have not only eyes like Tiberius's staff, they have ears also and hands and feet. A lamp also burns on those crutches, and wine and oil distill from their wonderful wood. Happy blindness that brings such a staff, Happy exchange, eyes full of earth and sin for eyes full of heaven and holiness. 4. They began to be merry, says our Lord, telling the story of the heartbroken father who had got back his younger son from a far country. An even feeble mind and ready to halt begin to be merry on the green that day after Doubting Castle has fallen to Greatheart's arms. Now Christiana, if need was, could play upon the viol, and her father mercy upon the lute, and since they were so merry, disposed, she played them a lesson, and Mr. Ready to Halt would dance. So he paid a boy a penny to hold one of his crutches, and taking Miss Much Afraid by the hand to dancing they went, and I promise you he footed it well. The lame man leaped as in heart. Also the girl was to be commended, for she answered the music handsomely. In spite of his life-long infirmity, there was deep down in Mr. Ready to Halt an unsuspected fund of good humor. There was no heartier merriment on the green that day than was the merriment that Mr. Ready to Halt knocked out of his nimble crutch. True, he could not dance without one crutch in his hand. True, dear noble Bunyan, Thou canst write a single page at any time or on any subject without thy genius and thy tenderness and thy divine grace marking the page as thine own alone. 5. The next time we see Mr. Ready to Halt, he is coming in on his crutches to see Christiana, for she has sent for him to see him. So she said to him, 
Thy travel hither hath been with difficulty, but thou wilt make thy rest the sweeter. And then in process of time there came a post to the town, and his business this time was with Mr. Ready to halt. I am come to thee in the name of him whose thou hast loved and followed thou upon crutches. In my message is to tell thee that he expects thee at his table to sup with him in his kingdom the next day after Easter. I am sent for, said Mr. Ready to halt to his fellow pilgrims, and God shall surely visit with you also. These crutches, he said, I bequeath to my son thou shalt tread in my steps with an hundred warm wishes that he may prove better than I have done. Isaac was a child of promise, and Mr. Ready to Halt had an Isaac also on whom his last thoughts turned. Isaac had been born to Abraham by a special and extraordinary and supernatural interposition of the grace and the power of God, and Mr. Ready to Halt had always looked on himself as a second Abraham in that respect. A second Abraham and more. True, his son was not yet a pilgrim, Perhaps he was too young to be so called. But Greatheart will take back the man's old crutches. Greatheart was both man of war and beast of burden to the pilgrims and their wives and children, and will in spare hours teach young Ready to Halt the use of the crutch, till the son can use with the same effect his father's instrument. Is your child a child of promise? Is he to you a product of nature, or of grace? Did you receive him and his brothers and sisters from God after you were as good as dead? Did you ever steal in when the nurse was at supper and say over his young cradle, He hath not dealt with me after my sins, nor rewarded me according to my iniquities? Is it in your will laid up with Christ and God about your crutches and your son what Mr. Ready to Halt dictated on his deathbed? And does God know that there is no wish in your old heart a hundred times so warm for your son as is this wish, that he may prove better at handling God's promises than you have been? Then, happy son, who has old Mr. Ready to Halt for his father? 6. He whom thou hast loved and followed though upon crutches, expects thee at his table the next day after Easter. Take comfort, cripples. Had it been said that the king so expects great heart, or stand fast, or valiant for truth, that would have been after the manner of the kings of this world, but to insist on having Mr. Ready to halt beside him by such and such a day, to send such a post to a pilgrim, who has not a single sound bone in all his body, to a sinner without a single trustworthy grace in all his heart, to a poor and simple believer who has nothing in his hand but one of God's own promises, who is a king like unto our king. Surely King David was never a better type of Christ than when he said to Mephibosheth, lame in both his feet from his nurse's arms, Fear not, Mephibosheth, for I will surely show thee kindness, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And Mephibosheth, 
shall always be our spokesman when he bows himself and says in return, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? End of chapter. Recording by Glenn Coster, Jr.